sir. Goot. We're on mute. All right, beauty. All right. About 10 seconds will be gone. The idea for all this really came from a dream. Yes. Oh, yeah, shit. I've been live. <laughs> Sorry about that. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Knox Mente. Tonight's guest is Von Weehunt, or V-Hunt. Von is a prolific writer and blogger in cyberspace. He lives in his own swinging retro and modern style space-age bachelor pad and has many friends and admirers along with his Labrador retriever. Visionary, saint, huckster, rebel, snake oil salesman, wise guy, modern-day charlatan, and man about town, office desk jockey, jack-of-all-trades, entrepreneur, foot soldier, and braveheart in the corporate cubicle trench warfare of today. Bachelor extraordinaire and Hugh Hefner wannabe. Von Lars, as his friends call him, pulls no punches like a raging bull boxer in the ring of life. He tells it the way it really is, in an arrow in like an arrow in flight. Shoots his intellectual wit and life observations with both barrels loaded and takes no prisoners. Von, welcome to Nox Mente. Thank you, Jerry. Looking forward to a great show tonight, man. Looking forward to this, for sure. So am I. Yeah, this is great. Thank you, Vaughn. And uh, I have to thank Michael Deacon. That's how I, I found you. And so I, I've enjoyed you thoroughly over there. Uh, thank you, Nish. Appreciate talking to you. Michael Deacon program. Wow, what a great show that is, huh? Yeah, Michael's awesome. Just adore him. And he's definitely a friend of the show. Oh, good. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of being on his show uh, three times now, and he and Mike Hideous are a great duo, you know? I love, I love that Mike show. Hideous, too. We just had Mike Hideous on a couple... Yeah, it was a great show. It was a really good show. He's, a very, he's yeah. very cool. I heard it. Mike's so down, Mike Hideous is so down to earth that he's just grounded. I, I really like those East Coast people, like especially the New York, New Jersey people. There's something that has always caught my attention with them. I agree. You know, in the same way, it's like I get along great with, uh, with, with everybody from Ponds to Kings, but and everybody in the middle. But uh, the East Coast people, they, they have an edge to them and an attitude that I really like. Yeah. And then I can get along with the surfer people in California, the Midwest farmer, the <laughs> Southern Confederate reenactor. I don't care who it is, you know, yeah. but they each have their own language, don't they? Yeah, they do. I, I'm like you. I'm so I, I, I feel like I've always been that I'm an outsider. So I, I've always just kind of fluttered around and 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 then I've lived everywhere. So like a hummingbird people, fluttering. I. I am like hummingbird, but the East Coast people are so matter of a fact. And I've just, there's something about that that is very appealing, especially in this day and age. <laughs> it's refreshing. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah they just lay it out. And my family's all, I'm from New York and my family's from New York. So when I, when I'm in the company of another East Coaster, it's like, there's this family vibe that just takes over me. It's like, ah, it's comforting. I don't know what mm -hmm. it is. But. <laughs> I like yeah. that. I dig it. So let's let's get into young, young, young Vaughn. As far back as you can recall, what was what were the things that stick out? And I'm going it is your very first memory. So what are the things that stick out 
in your very first memories, especially if they're like kind of like pop culture cartoons, uh, that kind of stuff? Well, I heard a few of your shows, and to be candid, um, I wasn't uh, quite sure about the show until we first met, and then I started to hear some of your shows, and I was very impressed. Oh, thank with, you. With Knox uh, and I There's no one doing a show like you and Jerry discussing, you know, dreams and visions and consciousness. And tying it like into that. everything, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you guys do a, a a great job of blending it in, and uh, you know, um, I get a lot of interview requests, and I'll be honest with you, I don't take them all, but yours, I definitely wanted to jump on because I remembered you from Twitter, and I knew you yes. were a friend of the Michael Deacon program, yes. and I've been on that show, <laughs> and I go, well, I'm going to do this one because one, I already feel like we're family here, yes. and that's a good thing, <laughs> and uh, so your show, and I love the premise, but getting back to your question, um, you want me to go back to like my, like the, my earliest memories of, uh, what, what inspired me or what, uh, I thought about things your, or make sure both. Yeah. Cause we want to build the foundation and get an idea of your oh, symbols. See. So like your, actually your earliest awesome. memories, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, I got to thinking about your show and I wrote a few things down and I had to kind of, to be honest with you, you know, in our busy hectic lives, I had to kind of sit back and do a little bit of uh, meditation myself and think hard about some, and some things just popped to my uh, mind. So I'll, I'll kind of start from there and I've got a few things that I think are very interesting, but Ooh. first of all, um, some of my earliest memories are of the Vietnam War. Uh, my dad packing, getting ready for Vietnam, and we were in Sacramento, California, and things, and watching the news. And I remember seeing Dan Rather on TV. I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but you know, back in that era, generally, and uh, war was a big part of what was on the news. And even now, on my on my radio show, I call it that we're a world of war. Um, but getting back to young Vaughn, um, I basically, when I would watch television, I would, I, I used to love watching, of course, most what, like what most kids do, but I really thought a lot of the cartoons were kind of stupid <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> and so although I love the cartoons as a kid, but I would only watch a little bit of that, but getting to pop culture for a second, I used to love like the reruns of Dark Shadows and Count Barnabas, you know, with oh, his. Oh, yes. I used to love that. My parents forbade me to watch that show because they felt it was demonic and bad and things of that nature. But as a young kid, I was fascinated by just that whole scene. And of course, I watched everything else. Like, I was also fascinated by the reruns of of Hogan's Heroes, and I have a strong affinity to World War II. Of course, I loved Gilligan's Island and all the other great shows. And, but, um, and you know, so that was sort of that. Um, my earliest, I did not have nightmares as a kid. Uh, 
I think it's trendy and glib for a lot of people to say, oh, I was, you know, a, a crazy child, a terrible child, and I was born with all these crazy things. No, I didn't have, and again, maybe I wasn't one of the cool, cool kids, but it's not taking back from any experience anybody else has had, but I really had, I felt a good, you know, kind of a childhood and, and idealistic childhood. I mean, my, my dad was U.S. military. I grew up on U.S. Air Force bases. Um, my father called in the airstrikes to the Viet Cong who were attacking the American Army troops. He was very good at what he did, from what I heard. Uh, very accurate. You know, you, you see the guys in the movies with the, they're like, they're like the statisticians. They're called the air weapons control officer. Um, they heard the live feed from the battlefield. There was life and death situations. My father was very good. He was at the Air Force headquarters in Saigon. So uh, I'm one of those kids. We had a lot of interesting visitors as a boy. Um, a lot of Air Force personnel, other people, possibly CIA, I'm not sure. But um, so I kind of grew up in that war vein. And my mother was a happy homemaker, smart. I was blessed with great parents, I, I will say. Uh, fantastic parents, wonderful people, smart as a whip. Uh, they're from the old world. They're from the old school. My parents married late. Um, they were depression era kids, uh, that, you know, they were, you know, born, my, my mother was born, um, you know, they were all during the depression era. Right. So I grew up with their knowledge in my DNA and then mine. And then I just remember having, uh, you know, pleasant dreams, but I will say this, I do believe in the, um, the mystical side of life. I think, I think Nish, you and Jerry delve into that and, um, I heard a lot of, of, of your shows and just been fascinated by other experiences people have had, but I had very nice dreams, but I do remember looking back that, um, well, I was visited by angels to be very, just to come out and say it, um, very interesting story. Uh, I was probably five years old. I was in Sacramento, California. We're on the Air Force Base. And I remember lying in bed, right? And I can remember just the most, you know, as a kid, you're not really thinking clearly. And they always say that things come to children because you're open to everything, right? You're not quite a rebel yet in your teenage years, and you're not quite questioning everything. But I remember hearing the most beautiful voices I have ever heard in my life, even today. Just, it, it was, I think it was a female, but it sounded angelic to me. And I can't, I don't even remember what they said. It was more like, I remember as a kid, I'm shaking my head left to right. Going, what is this? Is the radio on? Is the TV on? And no, nothing was on. But it just, I just got this um, message from the divine, if you will, that said that um, you're going to have a great life and we're going to be watching over you. That's our job. That's our mission. And we did choose to accept it. <laughs> Words to that, to that extent. 
and I mean, I'm as a kid, I, I, I'm not saying I'm a special person or anointed. I'm definitely not. And I'm, and I'm far from a holy roller, but I remember hearing that voice. This is fascinating, Vaughn. Can I ask you a couple of questions in this? When, okay, so you're five years old. Was this in a hypnagogic state? Were you in bed? Was it, what's the setting here? The setting is I'm in my bedroom on the uh, Air Force Base there in our home. We're in base housing. And I'm laying in bed. And I remember it came to me early in the morning. And I remember looking at my matchbox cars, mm. you know, like how you mm-hmm. first squint in the, you're, you're, you're like in that half asleep and it wasn't sleep paralysis. It was just a voice I heard in my head. And it wasn't like, I, I, I never heard anything like this before. And I only told a few people that it's like the first time I ever go in really public with this, to be honest with you. But I distinctly remember it. I remember going to my mother. Well, it's early morning hours, the first sun, to let you know. Early morning, probably five, six o'clock in the morning. I wake up. I run in going, Mom, Mom, the angels, they, they spoke to me. They told me this. They, and my mother went, oh, really? And at first she was like, like really? Or, you, know, how, you know how kids are moms, right? She was making pancakes, man. She was getting the coffee ready. My dad had his Air Force uniform on. He was an officer. He was getting, he was reading the morning paper. He was getting ready to, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's time to get moving. But she just sat there and went, hmm. And said, well, they probably did, son. They probably did. And you, and she goes, you should feel uh, blessed. You've got someone looking over you. And so I thought that was really cool. But I, I, you know, I just wasn't sure. Like, you're a five-year-old kid. What do you know, right? You're like, did this really happen? Then you start questioning yourself. And so I questioned it. I said, ah, that probably didn't happen the way I thought it did. And I blew it off, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I thought about it, went about my, my air, you know, my kindergarten and this and that. And um, I really didn't, you know, <laughs> you know how kids are. You, not that you quickly discount, but if nobody really confirms it, it's so subjective, right? It's inside your brain. And it wasn't like I was asleep and it wasn't a vision. It was a audio vision, if you will, an auditory thing. And I've always been auditory in the sense, I'm a very visual guy too, don't get me wrong, most men are, but I've always been interested in the uh, intonations of people, the inflections of their voice. I pick up things very quickly and that, that suits me very well for being like on the radio too. Yes. But then, um, it basically, um, basically it came to me about a year later. So now we're at another air force base and it's late at night. And, um, now this is like probably midnight or, you know, one o'clock or like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm laying there in bed. And again, my brother is next to me and he's asleep and it was a dark room and my parents had put me to bed and all of a sudden, I hear this like Morse code, like that little beep, beep, beep kind of a noise in my in my head. Now, I know the TV. My I could hear the TV. It wasn't that my parents were watching 
the Johnny Carson show, right? I remember that or something like that back then. And then I heard this beeping thing. And then all of a sudden, oh, I uh, heard this. Um, it said, Vaughn, we are the angels speaking. And they said, angels, this is your consciousness. This is your consciousness speaking, which I thought was very interesting. And I, as a young kid, you know, maybe I'm six now. I'm going, what the hell is consciousness, right? Consciousness. I can barely even say it. But it says, these are the, and it was, again, beautiful voice, melodic, but it sounded like they were in unison, like, like Vaughn, these are the angels speaking. This is your consciousness. Vaughn, then I'll be honest with you. As a young boy, but you know how boys are wired, right? I had just seen a sexy commercial before I went to bed, and to get that out of my head, I thought of the pretty, the pretty girl in that 1970s bikini. To be honest, oh, <laughs> I was yes. like, I got to get what I thought. Let's <laughs> think. As a young boy, I'm thinking that hot chick in the iced tea commercial. Yes, yeah, think of her. I love and those it's 70s almost like, women. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was a teenage decade completely. I thought, oh my God, this is great. And then I swear to God, it's almost like they telepathically knew I was trying to not ignore them, but kind of change the subject, which I'm famous for on the radio. Let's change, let's change gears again. Um, it said, now this time they were adamant and it sounded like two or three people. It said, Vaughn, we are the angels. This is your consciousness, almost like, mm, listen to us We're right here. Kind of, kind of like a director telling an, an actor, cut, action, Vaughn, we are the angels. This is your consciousness. We are the angels. It said angels. And I was like, wow, they mean business. Not that they were pissed or mad, but it, they were, um, a little bit aggressive there on, or very assertive, put it that way, as, you know, as an angelic being, they wanted me to know, in my view, over the years, analyzing that. And again, it wasn't a vision. It wasn't, I wasn't asleep. I was wide awake. Whenever things happen to me, I'm completely fluid like I am now. Um, and I, and as I analyze that, I think they wanted me to know that we're here we're overlooking you, we're overlooking whatever, whatever people's belief system is, but we're here and we're real and don't diss us, don't ignore us, we're here. And that got my attention when they raised your voice. Like a kid saying, hey, come here, right? Or a coach saying, hey, run, run two more laps, kid. I mean, it was like, hey, we're here. So I was like, wow, wow. And I sat there, I was like going, and then I heard that the, the, I swear to God, this is really strange. I heard the beeping noise again, like a Morse code, like, 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 like World War II doing the Morse code, right? And it sort of faded out. It faded in and faded. And they said their thing and it faded out. Now, people have asked me, hey, were you ever brought on board a U.S. Air Force? But I was not an MK Ultra kid or anything crazy like that. That's exactly what MK Ultra kids say, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the true I, ones. <laughs> but it was one of those things where it was very interesting. And uh, I basically think that uh, 
again, it was, there was no recording. There was nothing in the room. There was nobody else in the room. But I do remember pulling the covers over me and looking around the room going, okay, well, I've been, no, I'm raised Roman Catholic. I, I have been to mass. I do know that there's a God. They told me there was one. and I do believe in that. And so I thought, wow, what the hell is going on here? You know, so as a young kid, you're kind of, I mean, yeah, you don't take it as a grain of salt. You're kind of frightened. You're kind of like scared, but it never happened again. Only those two times did I hear that. But, you know, I've read some, and you know, I was one of those kids too, where as a teenager, just to fast forward for a second, I would go to the bookstore and I used to love looking, I loved the bookstore. And I would go into two sections, war and the metaphysics section, you know, the occult section. So I used to love reading about World War II. I had a strong affinity in all the wars. I thought, wow, look at all these damn wars these people have fought every 10, 20 years. So as a kid, you're fascinated by that. And then I would go into and I would read about astrology and numerology and also the solar system. The NASA section was always right next door, right? So I used to love looking at the planets and you know, and as a kid, you're like, there's no way we, we, we took a photograph of that. It's 200 million miles away. There's no way. <laughs> but I thought, is this an artist's rendering? As a young kid, I was a very independent thinker, right? So I questioned everything. And over time, I've made my own conclusions about everything. But uh, just getting back to that house, remember going in the backyard once, and we think our, that old house was haunted, but um, me and my brother were outside, you know, with a bunch of kids. This is when America had its heyday and everybody had four or five or six kids. Everybody. I mean, if you didn't, I told a buddy of mine, you were either the gay blade on the street, that one guy, or you were a Hollywood actor in Hollywood, or you were the super rich multimillionaire Hugh Hefner millionaire playboy. Right. But almost 95% of the country was there. Right. And so I thought I want to be the Hugh Hefner guy, but uh, I just remember all these, that's the most fun. Right. I mean, and to be honest with you, I love real estate. So as a boy, they used to show these Hugh Hefner TV shows. Like we're live at the Playboy Mansion and it's 1974. You know, I was just going, I used to go, wow, look at that house. I still love his house this day. That old English Tudor yeah. manor. I love that house. house. Yeah, it is a great or, house. And all the wood in there. And yeah. Actually, most people don't even know this, but Hugh Hefner, he bought the house. It was a fire sale in Bel Air next to Beverly Hills, and he renovated it over the years. But he got it at a great price. I think he paid $1 million. But... People forget he got all that, all the land with it, the land, baby. It's, a, yeah, it's <laughs> stunning. Acres it is. of land. Yeah. It's all private. It's so private. So, so cool. Yeah. I have but a really question. Quick, I just wanted to sorry. enter. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, I just wanted to ask Go real ahead. quick. I, I was thinking about, I don't remember what it was, but I was thinking about Vietnam War, et cetera, back when you were a kid and when I was a kid. Did you have any POW bracelets? I remember those. Yeah. I remember those. Well, actually, the Viet Cong had a bounty on my father's head because he was very good at, from what I heard back then, he was very good at 
No, he wasn't a pilot. He was not a pilot, but he used to train bomber pilots. He knew exactly where to place the bombs, which is a highly decorated skill. And of course, the pilots were known as the flyboys, the playboys. They would just, you give them the correct coordinates and they could, you know, put a bomb through a needle, right? So they, Um, they were the Hugh Hefner of the Air Force. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Well, it's funny because we were at an Air Force base once. And I saw all these men get out of the blue Air Force bus and they were all wearing brown, like brown, those zip up, you know, brown uh, fatigues. And I said, Dad, who are those guys? He says, son, they're prisoners. They're prisoners. They weren't, you know, they were our guys who did crimes inside the military. But they were just, they had them on work de- details there with the MPs, old school with the batons, barking orders at them. And they had some machine guns. That I told friend, that's when our military was a real hardcore military. Today, they wouldn't do that. It wouldn't be PC. But, you know, back in that era, yeah, they were pretty hard, hard, hardcore guys. But just briefly to, juxtaposition back to the house. We're in the backyard, right? And there's all these kids out. It was one of those spooky, I guess, like a Halloween night, right? But I remember, man, all these bats, must have been a hundred bats came out of nowhere and descended down and they were attacking all of us kids, like probably 10 or 12 of us. Like, I remember them like flapping around my head. <laughs> it's a weird feeling. Dude, uh, but we all like scream. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, we just like, you know, screamed as kids. But I don't know, just strange things happened back in that time in space, you know. I just remember. I was going to ask if any, any of those kids became vigilantes, just out of curiosity. <laughs> oh, been it's a Batman joke. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Well, there, there, there was a troublemaker kid on, on the block, and I can say his name. His name was Tommy George. Like two first names, really weird, right? But he was an older kid, like thirteen or fourteen. And then I remember he was always effing with the younger kids. Always, like he would take. I mean, just bad, bad things. He would nothing, but just violent. You know, just pushing kids, shoving kids. Uh, today that would be very, very tame. Right. But I remember he was uh, pushing my brother and me, or, you know, just sort of like shoving you to, to the ground and things. My dad came to the guy's house. This is old story. He knocked on the door. He says, uh, Mr. George come outside and just raised health and wanted to duke it out right there on the front lawn. That's how the men were back then. I stood back and said, sons, you stand back. This is, this guy is, and he, and his son was like shivering behind him. He was like, ever catch your son on my property. I'm going to shoot the son of a bitch. You got me? <laughs> and he meant it. 45 caliber and said, go fuck around with Vietnam vets. And, and, you know, my dad came back with PTSD a little bit anyway. And the lethal thing set them off. And in their mind, you were effing Charlie. So it doesn't matter. And you, you pissed them off. You got them at the wrong time. Guns came out. The daggers came out. That's how quick he would respond. Very. He, my dad's full-blooded German kraut. Okay. Yeah. Full-blooded. Yeah. So yeah. 
they don't f around. And this guy no. was like, uh, like no. I can still see his face. He was just like, I mean, he shrunk like three feet. My dad meant it. So I don't care. I will kill you. <laughs> and I will say <laughs> this: we had no more problems from then on out. Where, where did you with that up? family? Where did you yeah. grow up? I didn't. I didn't catch that. Well, we went from Air Force Base to Air Force Base. We were in Sacramento, in Anaheim, California, mainly uh, Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas, a few others. Um, Do you have Florida. a place you consider home from when you think back? Oh, yeah, it would be uh, it'd be Anaheim or Sacramento, California, because okay. I have relatives out there. My aunt was in Long Beach. My uncle was in Tustin, right by Anaheim. So we used to go to the Queen Mary for breakfast and brunch and visit my aunt. And I remember oh, I that's when that. California was the golden era. That's when it was just beautiful to be out there. You yeah, know? Did, you ever, did you ever see the Air Janet or the Janet Air, whatever it is, off the Area 51 off of Ellis? Great question. <laughs> I can say this, that um, I know my dad did a lot of things up there and he was part of, uh, he told me later he was, he was part of Operation Blue Book mm. as an Air Force investigator. Cool. So he saw a lot of things in his career. And I think that's why he was stationed at Nellis because Nellis Air Force Base is so close to Area 51. Yeah. Cool. And that's when that area was really ramping up, right. you know, but I never saw anything as a kid. Now, my mother said she saw strange lights around Vegas when we used to live right off the strip, actually. And the hotel is still there. I, I actually go up the strip. It's right by the stratosphere. And I remember going up there several times and that little motel is still there. Probably still making tons of money, that, but uh, I remember those days. The stratosphere has a crazy ass ride on the roof. Like yes. it, it goes around oh in a circle God. and then it drops off the edge. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't do it every time. I don't know why people would no, go on no. that thing? Whatever. It's just crazy. That's uh, I've seen that man. I can't remember the name of the guy who built the stratosphere, but he's like a, I don't know, like a third rate Steve Wynn wannabe. I can't remember his name. Oh yes. Oh, I know. I I can see him in my mind. He had he had the big brown hair. Yes. Oh, uh, straight jack or something like that. Yeah, uh, like an Eastern it's Polish. European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll look Polish. <laughs> yeah. I remember that guy. And he used to be on TV, actually. Yeah, I know. And he would say, "Come to the stratosphere and be a winner." And <laughs> Bob but he was a real stupid. cheesy Vegas man. But I, I really, really dug him. I thought he was cool because I thought, man, this guy's got it made. He can feed off everyone else's advertising, and he's got like a second, third-rate hotel. But it's a massive property; it's still <laughs> right. there. Right. It's a uh, Bob Stupak. Bob Stupak. Yeah, I said you're right. I said straight Jack, but Stupak. Yeah, he died in uh, 2009. Hmm. Great guy. Great guy. <laughs> How many siblings? The old ones are all dying out. You know? Yeah, know. the changing, it's definitely happening for sure. Well, a lot of Gen X is getting taken out probably because of, you know, various reasons. But there do seem to be a lot of people in their 40s and 50s checking out right now. 
With what? Well, with all kinds of stuff, but that's kind of more like an obelisk topic. Mm. But, you know, I think with the weaponized everything that we're dealing with and getting rid of older older generations so that this indoctrination that we're experiencing can push further. Mm Mm-hmm. You talk about this. Well, I am Generation X, so I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So, but so just on more, a little bit more on your foundation, how many siblings? Uh, one brother, one sister. Okay, so three of you, which was actually small, right? Isn't that... Well, my mother, yes. And the average family back then was four or five kids. That was very normal. Some had like eight or nine, but they were, you know, <laughs> way up there. But my mother actually had a fourth child, and it was a boy, but it was a miscarriage. Oh, that's too bad. So, yeah, yeah. I would have had a second brother. So are I know you, he's around me somewhere. Where are you in the lineup? Are you the oldest? Uh, no, I am often accused of that. I am the youngest. I am the anchorman family. Well, you had so it the easiest. Yeah, everyone thinks I'm the oldest because I'm normally the most outspoken. Um, now, my brother is a great guy. He's the, he's an engineer. My sister is the oldest. And then my brother and then me. And then my sister was always like in marketing. My brother was in always a engineer. And he has the... The quintessential engineer um, attitude and persona, which is serious, studious, but with a quirky ass sense of humor. Quirky. <laughs> it's a typical, and I know engineers when I meet them, I go, yeah. <laughs> Analytical, logical, but goofy. They're the most goofiest people you'll ever meet. Yeah. In a good way. I went into that as well. I don't, I can't remember how, how far that went, but. Um, yeah. So, and then also back just to to wrap up the young Vaughn, you're, so you said earlier, no nightmares and all that. What was your general experience with the dream realm? What was, you know, were you a dreamer? Do you recall dreaming? And then what was the landscape and architecture like within the dream? Ooh, that's a good one. Good. Deep, deep question. Well, I like your show because it goes deep into my consciousness. <laughs> um, deep, baby. I would, deep, baby. That's right. Deep. <laughs> Have it no other way. <laughs> I would say, uh, now I had scary dreams as a kid. I was your, you know, I was just a happy kid. Uh, I knew my two, I was very lucky. I, I hear all these broken families today and my parents, hey, Life wasn't perfect back then either. My parents almost got divorced three times. They fought like cats and dogs. They made up all the time. But I remember they came real close to getting divorced about two or three times. And I remember having some bad dreams about that. And I remember, uh, you know, I used to think about, oh, is there a boogeyman in my closet or somebody under my bed? And no... I never had any bad dreams like that, like anything like poltergeist or the exorcist or anything crazy. And of course, my parents also, to their credit, they also protected us. But what's funny is back then, 
I'm sure, you know, uh, they were showing the, the live news feed of Vietnam in the aftermath of it, right? So we're watching machine guns and we're seeing bombs. And that to me was just fascinating. I wasn't fascinated by war because war to me is the breakdown of uh, diplomacy. It's the breakdown of nations getting along, which they've never gotten along anyway. So I tell people we are a world at war, but getting back to my dreamscape, uh, I've always dreamed in color, Nish. Um, once in a while, I'll see something kind of murky, maybe black and white, but it always turns out to be color. And so um, I dream in three in three uh, type of dimensions, always in color, and I can see depth. Um, normally, the people I meet in my dream. Um, are they're always in color. They're always asking me questions or some are very indifferent. I just see them and they're preoccupied with something else as I'm going through the dreamscape, right? So a lot of my dreams are of buildings and structures uh, or war. And I've had very vivid dreams about things like that. For example, um, could be like, I'm going to a town, I'm, I'm being chauffeured in, and then I get out of the limousine, and then I'm in this building, and I'm a humongous building, it was one of my dreams, I would say, a few months ago, but I've had similar ones when I was a kid, right, because that's our, our timeline here, and they would say, go find so-and-so, and he's in room A, or he's in room 213, so I'm looking for room 213, or 400, whatever the case is, and I'm in this, like this house of mirrors or this funky room where the floors are uneven, uh, chairs are floating. I see people I know and they're like busy dusting and they say, hi, how's it going? No one's really evil or strange, but it's more like a fun house at a carnival, you know, uh, not a haunted house, but it's sort of a, you know, this weird kind of, so that I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm jumping over logs. I'm getting to the room and then I get to the room and then there's uh, interesting people there and they're all greeting me. And they said, you found us. <laughs> it could be something as innocuous as that. Going back, I've analyzed a lot. He's going, wow, that was a trip. But um, I do believe that the dreamscape in my view is kind of a dimension. And I believe it's your subconscious telling you something uh, that you need to know or that you should be, or it's more there. It's prompting you to, Hey, pay attention to this, you know, and I just view the building as my life and you're going through different rooms. You're going into different doors, lots of doorways like Jim Morrison and the doors, or right? I play them on, on my radio show. I'm thinking of the doors of perception uh, I would go into certain rooms or be people again, nothing too crazy, just sort of like oddball carnival stuff. Um, you'd see a girl with a big rack. You'd see a crazy man juggling. Like my best thing is like the uh, album of strange days of the doors where he's got the weightlifter. He's got the midget. He's got the juggler and that tall sultry chick were in the cool. That was, I've had a lot of dreams like that. Again, it's walking through. Oh, I love it. Love that album. Yeah, uh, Strange Days. I played on the air many because this is we are living in strange days now. 
So, yeah, this it was um, just like that. A lot of things, um, you know, I just, you know, stuff like that. You know, sports, yeah, a little bit about that. My favorite dreams are flying. Not falling, but flying. How and those are cool in these dreams of flying. How have especially it, well, we can we can strip a timeline here. It doesn't doesn't really matter. Uh, but in flying, how how do you fly within your dreams, and has that changed over the years? Great question. Again, um, yes. Um, when I was a young boy, I remember flying like a World War II fighter plane. Now, I might have picked it up watching a movie or something of that, but I definitely believe I was in World War II. I definitely believe in reincarnation. I definitely believe that, because uh, I have, I, we, I used to watch these movies and go, I was there. I remember that. And my people say, what? And I was a little kid and I never read, a, like I was like in first, second, third grade. And I, I, I was telling the teacher who attacked where at this venture, like we're talking about World War II. And he later came to me and said, I checked the history book. Everything you said checked out. He told my parents, he goes, this is amazing. He goes, he knows more about this battle than I do. And I'm the freaking teacher. <laughs> you know, weird things like that. But I remember that. And I remember... The scariest flying dreams are when I am in a room or something with other people and, or it could be outside, like you're that guy in Iron Man, right? And you have those um, lasers or, or those, those fireballs that come out from underneath your boots or your shoes, right? And you go up in the air, kind of like that, where when I feel that rumbling, I'm in the dream and I go, oh my God, I'm... I'm about to take off here. I'm about to fly. I'm about to go straight up, you know, like a thousand feet up in the air. And that's kind of scary because in the dream, I really am like flying over a neighborhood. I'm flying over. Uh, and then it, it, that's kind of a freaky one, but it feels because it just sounds, it feels so out of control, you know, because in your dream, you want to be safe and secure. But when I start to fly, I don't know what I'm going to, who I'm going to see or what's going to happen. Everyone else is on the ground going, Oh my God, check it out, bro. What? I remember people like my dream going, what the fuck? What just that guy's flying. It's like, it's like you're Superman. I probably watched a Superman movie, right. Or something. And I just start, but to me, it's like Iron Man where you just take off. Like you're, I am Iron Man. Um, <laughs> one of the most, craziest well crazy but mystical i thought and this again people need to know this i don't make anything up i am mr reality uh, to me life is strange all by itself i don't need to make anything up people used to call me go, oh you're making that up on on the show or i don't believe that i go google it check it out <laughs> or go to my timeline on Twitter and read the article if you'd like. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. I don't make things. Even as a boy, I would say this happened like in eighth grade or ninth grade. People say, oh, you made that up. I always used to get that I, because it was so outlandish. I just picked up on it and they did it. And it wasn't I was trying to put one over on them or I was kind of an ego, weird ego thing. I would say, hey, this happened. He said, no, no, no way, bro. You're full of it, man. Bullshit. And I would say, 
No, it's not BS. Uh, this, you know, so I'm not one of those people. I want folks to know that if I tell you something, it's from my inner core or my subjective view. But the weirdest flying dreams that I had, I think when I was 17, you know, in high school, we're always, there's a lot of angst, right? Yeah. We're going through a lot of things. And I admit, I, I was one of those kids too. I used to question everything. You know, my parents were staunch Roman Catholics and German Italian descent, a little bit of French in there too, but we go to mass and, uh, I tell folks, I go, look, I can, I can do anything I want to do. I'm an adult, but I used to tell folks that all Catholic mass is, it's a reenactment of the last supper. You know, this is my body. This is my wine. And again, I'm not a holy roller. This is wrong. But my point is that I used to like going to mass for three reasons. One, I got to sit in the back row, which I thought was the cool part of the church. <laughs> and thank God my parents were back row people and not those weird families <laughs> sit in the front row, right? Those were always the weird, yeah. you know, the <laughs> wannabe. Look at us. Look at us. We were like the cool. Like my 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 dad would have taken out his pipe if he could have and smoked <laughs> smoke. He's one of those guys I would see in the sixties, seventies. You know, would always have the pipe out, like uh, Hugh Hefner. I love but, the, um, I love pipe tobacco. It does smell good. Oh, I used to love it. Yeah. Thank God. I remember my mother yelling at my dad, you know, about this. There's smoke in the house, and I used to, you know, that black cherry tobacco smells great. Oh, it's so I couldn't, it's like I, ambrosia. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's ambrosia. Well, I couldn't stand cigarettes. Yeah, My dad here. used to smoke those. Yeah. It, it, it's an Air Force thing. All the men smoked Lucky Strikes. Get it? Lucky Strike? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my dad would have all his Air Force guys over at the house as a young boy talking about, you know, he went there on two tours of duty and they're all puffing out these, you know, people smoked like chimneys, like mad, mad men. Everybody had a pack of Lucky Strikes. Oh, and yeah. I thought as a kid, I inhaled a lot of secondhand smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Not by this, because I can't stand it, but I used to, I used to sit there because I was just dying to hear their stories. So I used to kind of hold my nose, sip on my milkshake or my Kool-Aid, <laughs> and listen to all these cool, you know, macho Air Force guys talk about Charlie and the hot Hispanic, ch uh, the uh, Vietnamese <laughs> chicks when the <laughs> were in there, yes. you know, yes. all that, all those crazy stories, you know. And, um, but anyway, getting back to the mass thing was I enjoyed the back rows. I could watch people mm -hmm. find it flow. Cause people forget the Catholic mass is really, it's a ritual. I like rituals. It's beautiful. And to me, I could, it is beautiful. And I could sit back there and my mind could float baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was listening to what the priest said, but I could, that was my one hour. The thing that's, that's really, that most people don't get and forget about all the priests and all, nobody's for that crap, you know, any right. kind of abuse. But the thing is, I always remind my, my Protestant friends that, you know, pastors have their thing too. And so do rabbis and everybody else. But what I used to like about it was it forces you as a kid to just shut the F up. And because you're always busy, right? You're always talking, you're always maneuvering, you're always playing sports. But the one thing about it, it forced you to shut the F up for one hour, maybe an hour and a half. 
You couldn't fidget. You had to go through the, and it's a ritual. So you, you stand, you kneel, you do. And also we got to drink wine. Yes. So the kids go, wow, <laughs> nice gulp down that wine. I thought, you oh man, it's a the, great point there though, Vaughn. It's the is... Italian in me. I go, I used to look so forward to getting a big gulp of this great Sangria <laughs> wine. Yes. And but I always you're... noticed. I'm sorry, go ahead. I just, uh, I had not put my mind on this before, Vaughn, and I, you just did something for me that's really fantastic. The idea that people in church, actually kids, have to sit and find a stillness, yeah. that is major, and that seems to really be something that's lacking right now. Well, yeah, it forces you to, I used to meditate, that was my meditation hour. Think about it. I had two crazy siblings and parents, and my father had a little bit of PTSD. He's a Vietnam vet. I mean, he, I grew up with guns in the house, and as a kid, I loved it. But as a kid, I read his crazy-ass stories. I wasn't going to grab my dad's forty-five caliber or his M16 or anything in the closet. I was into sports and books and, and rocketry and cool kid stuff, right? But, um, but yeah, it forces you as a kid to shut the F up to sit down. That was my meditation hour. And I used to, and everything else sort of would coalesce and get into your mind. And then I used to love looking at other families and girls my age. Right. So I'm in the back room, hmm, scoping her out going, I'll be dating you in five, in five years. Maybe you, no, maybe you. Uh, <laughs> do I want her? Or do I want her? Hmm. So the boy, this is what boys do. We're thinking of ways to entertain ourselves always, but don't get me wrong. One ear, men have this ability. We can listen with one ear to the priest. And I can, in my other ear, I'm thinking of something completely different. We compartmentalize things in our brain. So I was famous for that. And I used to go, hmm. But I, I used to dig just seeing all the families come in. And, and then there was a the coffee and donuts. And as a kid, that was the fourth thing. I liked coffee. As a young boy, I always loved coffee. Because to me, it was a cool macho thing. Like the Air Force guys, they drink coffee. Now it's tell the guys, you're, you're drinking Kool-Aid. You're worthless and weak. I'm drinking coffee. I'm a real young man. I'm a war vet, right? So I'm like, I'm I'm a hardcore (laughs) bastard. My father, you know, blew up the commies. What does your dad do? He sells fertilizer. Go figure, you know, no, I was just having some fun with my friends. I love everybody, but I was just, like you know but as a kid you're like wow this is you know the the jocularity is going to come out right yes but that was that but um i used to dig that part and i'll be honest with you the other thing i liked was uh the folk mass and again it used to send my getting back to your show it used to send my mind on these different transcendental tangents so i used to love the folk mass and where they would sing with the banjos right and you had the hot chicks up there and i'm like all these chicks with like they're always you know they were always showing the cleavage on on like the altar <laughs> so i had my other personal reasons for liking to go to mass they were always these hotties that could sing i'm going man check her out john damn check that out so and she can sing too so no we're just you know typical horny boys looking around going oh my god i'm gonna have a great life i'm yeah. just scanning the room but um, <laughs> I used to love the music, 
and the transcendental part of it. And really my mind would flow. The things that would come to my mind were just amazing. I, I could go on different, different. And to me, that was, I had a priest one time tell me that's the secret of the mass. It's an ancient ritual. And you are supposed to think of all kinds of, you know, levels of heaven or different spheres, or I would think of the multiverse. I would think of reincarnation. I would think of what I read in the bookstore last week about yes. the occult. How does that apply here? And though you're warned against that, to me, I wanted to know both sides of the story. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm definitely believing God. I'm I'm one of those. That's why I said I, I might not be one of the cooler kids because. I have a belief system, which I've developed, but that leads me into this next thing, which I think you're going to find really, really cool. Take a step. I, there, a, <laughs> I thought a lot about your show the last couple of weeks, and I thought, should I divulge this? I think I should. Well, this ties in with the flying part. So, again, we're going full circle. When I was 17, I'm questioning things. Is there a God? Is there... You know, because things, bad things happen to you. And is there a God? Is there a devil? Is there this or that or this? And I believe that there is. Again, my it's not knocking anybody else's personality or religion or belief. It's just my, it, to me, it's a personal thing. I think we're all on a personal journey. And it, it, and it affects people in different ways. Like I, what a, a, a what, again, and I'm an old school Roman, not a, not this new uh, thing where, you know, I'm the old, I'm from the old school in the sense that the people that taught me were from the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. Okay. They give you some perspective. When I met them as a boy, they were already like 60 years old. Right. So they're from the real America. I call it the real hardcore America. But I remember a Roman priest telling me, he was Italian from Rome. He, he was visiting uh, and he said, um, there are many, has on the mountain and when you're born there are people that will become a presbyterian or they're an episcopalian which we call catholic light or lutheran or whatever jewish or whatever the case is uh maybe you're just you know you're evangelical but he says there's 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 many paths to the top of the mountain and they all will get you there eventually but some will get you there faster than others and he said, uh, one thing I also liked about him was he was an exorcist priest. And so he would tell me some crazy stories. This uh, has, those you know, are my general... favorite, Vaughn. Absolutely my favorite. Yeah. And he was one of those guys where I'll tell you some things that he uh, would say. But before I get to the real juicy, to, and of course, he was my catechism teacher, right? But... Um, and I, the one thing I liked about Rome was they were the only church that believed in demonic possession and trained their clergy to defeat it. Now, I, I do believe in good and evil. I, you know, he told me, and I kind of believe, him, he says, this is purgatory. It's a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. It's a, a lot of good and a lot of bad. Kind of like purgatory. He believed that we were in purgatory. He believed that this world is full of angst, full of hardship. I get it's also full of beauty. It's got a, a almost a 50-50 mix of both. And I think right now it's airing on the negative side. But it ties in with my with this thing. So I'm going through all these things as a young man. I'm in high school, whatever. And uh I had and I'm only this is only 
happened to me a few times in my life. I had that sleep paralysis, right? Which I've heard other guests talk about. So, and I'm fully awake, I'm fully fluid, and I can't move, right? This ever happened to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you can't move, but my, I could dart my eyes around and I, and I tried to move and I couldn't move. And it was again, about the midnight hour, like 11 o'clock. And I was thinking about all these things in my, in my brain. And I swear to God, this is what happened. I don't make anything up again. I, I, I think the heavenly realm, if you will, they knew to get to Vaughn because he's going to be a radio guy. We're going to be auditory. We're going to be auditory to him. So I hear it's like, I'm standing right next to a seven thirty-seven, and I hear the roar of a jet engine just starting up like that. I'm hearing this like we're revving up and I'm again, I'm, I am not, it's not a vision. It is not, I am wide awake like I am now. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I hear this, this roar of a jet engine. Like my God, I thought, my God, am I at the freaking airport? Am I dying? What's going on? I was frightened to death. I couldn't move. It was like, I called an angel or a spirit, whatever, a spirit just tapped me on the forehead and I was paralyzed, could not move. So I remember next was, then I saw a vision and we're going through, and I think they wanted me to see something. We're going through the clouds, bright, beautiful. Reminds me of that uh, Days In commercial, come the Days In, the hotel, where it shows like the clouds and uh, the sun is rising and it's early morning and I'm going through the clouds like at Mach 1, Mach 2. Now I'm seeing a vision, all in color. And the clouds are going past my eyes like... And I thought, it's a beautiful day. I, we were going, we were hauling ass, man. <laughs> hauling ass through the clouds. Again, sunshine. And I thought, and we're going and going. I don't see anything but clouds and beautiful blue sky and the sunshine. Okay? And then it goes, like the engines are coming back down, right? And so then we, it's like we landed, vision fades, and I'm still paralyzed for a little while. I, about a minute later, I kind of, it kind of snapped me out of it, but I was fully awake and I went, what the hell was that? What in the effing hell was that? Didn't hear anything but the roar of a jet engine. Now, my dad was U.S. Air Force, but again, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think I was questioning things a lot about is God real is devil real is all these things. It's all a bunch of BS or maybe my, maybe my humanist teacher was right. And that everything is just a dream, right? <laughs> you know, you always got one of those in high school or, or junior high or whatever. And again, they could be right too. I would, but then I think it was, they were, they were saying, we're going to show him something that's going to blow his mind. And again, I discounted it. After we got that, ah, I'm not too sure about that. Did that really happen? I don't know, Nish. I was like, you know what? I was like, mm, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I can remember like it was yesterday, but I thought, again, there was no TV on, nothing like that. No radio in my room again. But I thought, ah, I'm not too sure about that. Well, <laughs> because I discounted it, guess what? They came back or it came back. So about two weeks later, I'm laying in bed again. And again, each time I, I thought this was interesting. I was going back. I was laying in bed Egyptian style, you know, with your legs crossed yes. and your arms crossed. Now it wasn't astral projection where I'm, I'm flying out of my body. Nothing. I, I, I was not looking down. I was in my body because I think they wanted me to know this is a real experience. You're going to be in your body. Now we're going to blow your mind, kid. Which they did. Blew my thought that what the so it happened to me again. Fast forward. I'm laying in bed again about the same time and I thought, oh God, not again. I can't effing move. Now you're you know, that's how you talk when you're in high school, right? Or even now. You know, I can't move. And again, I hear these jet engines nish. This like I'm standing on the tarmac at Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, right next to a 737. That real loud thing. Or when you're in in the plane, you're about to like take off. That sound, exact sound. So once again, the same thing happens. I see a vision. It's in color. Beautiful day beautiful sunshine and i'm going through the clouds again like i'm on it's like each time i am on the tip of the nose of the plane strapped in <laughs> you know and we're going to my, it feels like mach one or mach two we're hurtling through the clouds hurtling hauling ass well this time was a little bit different and i i i, I once again i tell folks my disclaimer is i am I, you know, I've sinned a lot of my life, like most, most people, I don't consider, you know, I'm not a saint, that's, I'm far from that, trust me. Um, but I looked over and my mind said, look to your left while I'm in the vision, right? So I looked to my left, I swear to God, I saw the old man, the old man oh wow not jesus but the effing man part of my french or my american the i saw the old man god the architect oh yes and i looked over at him and i'm getting chills now just thinking about it i looked over to my left and my you know how, how you can move your eyes in your mind he's holding my hand and this time they show me something that really blew me away. He is wearing, he looks exactly, exactly. Now, I was always told by the Roman priest that Michelangelo had visions of God. Well, what Michelangelo drew is exactly how he looks. Exactly wow. to a T. And when I see that picture of... Oh, again, the old man wasn't as a saying, or it was, I met the old man. And I remember looking over at him, and he's wearing the burgundy robe, the long flowing beard, all white, like Moses, right? He has his left arm outstretched. He's holding my hand. 
And we're both flying a Mach 2, baby. <laughs> and we're hauling ass. And he just, he looked over at me, gave me a look, just a kind of an indifferent look. And with his left hand, he pointed his finger, like his index finger down, like look down. Well, I'm looking at him. And then I mentally, I look down. It's if, it, you know, if, if my mechanics are right, the physics of it. And I swear to God, I saw millions of people all walking up this mountain or hill, all wearing white togas. Wow. All wearing, like they were talking, they were happy, they were commiserating, they were like telling jokes, they some had the walking staffs, and we're going about treetop level over them, like this like a jet. And, and I remember seeing just a multitude of people, all in white, all white. I can make out some had brown hair, some had, like, I think they were dead, and they were old souls, and I think the architect of the universe, this is what I remember, clear as day, he wanted to show me that I am here, I exist. Don't you ever doubt me ever again. And that's the thought that went into my head. Mm. Because as we're going down this path, I see this mountain and I see this trail, right? Going up the mountain. We flew right over the mountain and guess who was at the top of the mountain? His son, Jesus. Yes, you are. Just like that mountain in Brazil, in Rio, Brazil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Arms outstretched the same way that artist was inspired. And all these people were white. And he had a son behind him, and he was wearing white. And I made out this guy look just like Jesus with the, the dark hair, almost a Jim Morrison look, right, with the beard. Everybody was wanting, they're, they're walking up the mountain to greet him and pay him their respects. That's how I took it. And then we're flying over the mountain. It was like, and then the vision sort of ended, flight over. And then I heard this, like the engines are, they're revving back down. <laughs> I thought, wow. Just wow. This now, is... That's a, and an auditory, and it was, I, again, I, it wasn't like I was, I wasn't very anti-drug kid. Mm-hmm. No in me, no crazy food in me, and I was lucid, and I was awake and conscious the entire time, but yet I was immovable. And again, I think, again, it, if it was him, he stopped me and said, I need to slow this kid down and just paralyze him and just stop him. Like I was always into something, right? Mm-hmm. I was doing this radio, uh, you know, sports game, TV's on, all these distractions. Mm-hmm. And he just went, don't tap on the forehead. You're paralyzed. You're going nowhere. Now I'll show you my show. Here's my radio and TV show for you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Blow me away. 
Vaughn, this is remarkable. And I, I want to, I want to interject here and uh, I have a question in here, but I want to add something as well. What I want to add is when I have what I call downloads or um, possibly some people I think consider those remote views and stuff. I have, you've described exact, and so this ties into my question as well you've described exactly how I experienced them with this, the, the wind up and the set down auditory intense, intense, like I'm in a plane getting ready. Yes. To go. And after I come back, it lingers for a while in my head. It's just like stereo intense uh, resonance and stuff like get coming back. And it, 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 it never ceases to amaze me still to this day. And I'm wondering wow. I, I know that some people out there in the dream world and there's a, you know, there are a lot of different schools of thought and this is what's so fascinating about this is some people may claim there's science and there certainly is neuroscience here. However, for me, nothing is set in stone, but one thing is, is thought of some people think of these are um, this is an OBE when you go into the state of high vibration and then you leave and you know the paralysis is part of it what what are your thoughts on on that do you think you could have been OBE run that past me again do you think you could have been like out of it uh, out of body an out of body experience oh. Yes, yes. Uh, to me, it was the way I would describe it. It was definitely an out-of-body experience in that sense. But in most out-of-body experiences, people are looking back on their body. I always hear that. This is a case where I didn't really feel that I left my body spiritually, is how I put it. Um, because I was questioning a lot about life. Like, why am I here? All those existential issues. What is the purpose of life? Why am I here? What are we doing? Uh, is there a God? You know, you're as a high schooler, you're thinking about that, but I don't think it was like, it, it, it was, it was me laying in bed the entire time, a little bit different. I'm conscious the entire time I am paralyzed, but yet my eyes were open. I yes. hear an auditory engine. And yes. then the next thing I know in my, in my eyes or my, my, my vision in front of me, I am literally, that's when it could have been out of body. I'm looking, I'm going, I'm at the nose of a 747 going through the clouds. Yes. That's, that's Bright, my sunny experience. Day. Yeah. That's okay. And that's what I actually wrote. Oh my God here. I wrote that in my notes. Oh my God, because that is exactly how I've experienced what I call these downloads of information. And I'll tell you, every single one of them has been completely 100% accurate. And so, and that's how they start and end. And it's remarkable, absolutely a remarkable experience. It's so in the auditory though, I can, I can never cap give people the idea of how in your head it is and how uh, it takes a minute to come back from it because it's echoing in your head. It's so visceral. Oh yeah. And it's like standing for me at Phoenix Sky Harbor airport, you're standing on the tarmac with your bag. Say you're about to, you know, to get into a plane old, old, old school style where you go up the ramp, you know, 
or the ladder, but it's like you're you're right by the engine. You hear that the revving up of the jet engine. Yes. And yes. it was it was a positive experience. But again, I think that whatever it was, they wanted to show me a show and boy did they ever. And again, I just think it was real. It was it it's I can never forget it. And again, whenever I see that picture of the old man God architect, that's exactly how that looked to me. And again, I wasn't very familiar with that as a kid. It wasn't like I was a Michelangelo fan. Later in life, I went home. I remember pulling out these books of like the Vatican or thing. I went, oh my God, split image of that. I just sat there, was dumbfounded. That is what I saw. Yeah. Again, it was like the God particle, if you're a physicist or an astrophysicist. But to me, it was, uh, and again, it wasn't like he said anything, but it was, te- it was telepathic. And his finger said, look down. I want to show you something. Yes. And that's when I looked down. And man, was that wild. It's never happened again. Only those two times where it was that kind of an experience. But when you were wild. describing that experience of them walking to, I couldn't help but think about uh, Dante's Inferno and the the you know yes. how they you know what I'm talking about and so yes. the one spot oh, yeah. walking upward as opposed to downward and and they're in that um, with the canes and those robes everything was just giving me that Dante imagery which is remarkable. Right. And I had never read that book as, as even as a high school. I mean, I had heard about it. I had, I had heard of the seven or eight, you know, layers yes, of hell, realms. et cetera. But this was more of a going up, not going down. And I think that the uh, spirit people wanted me to say, hey, I was kind of down the dumps about a lot of things. Yeah. And I was really questioning things very intensely. And I wasn't a happy camper. I was one of those angry young men. Yes, I get them. I get it. On one level, I was very happy, but on other levels, I was very angry. I was very, I, I used to get, I used to uh, be quick to fight. If I was attacked, I just, the German comes out of me and that, <laughs> the SS dagger comes out real fast, right? So I, I, I wasn't a pushover. I, I, I grew up with a lot of people that were always trying to F with me or bully me. And so I learned really quick to this day. I'm very quick on the draw, quick draw McGraw. But my thing is I just was questioning a lot of things. And uh, it wasn't really until I got to college that just a really brief side story. I was walking out. I, I, I went to Purdue university and I remember I was like 21 and I'm walking with my backpack and I loved college. And I went, I'm not from Indiana where Purdue is, West Lafayette, but I went there and it's a beautiful, it's like a campus out of central casting. If you're in Hollywood and you want to find like the red bricks and gargoyles and fountains, that's Purdue. 35,000 students, right? We're about two hours south of Chicago. But I can remember walking the campus and like a light bulb, I had like this epiphany and I go, it like everything just sort of went click. And then I got it. It's weird. I got life. It was like a light bulb went off and it was like this flood of knowledge. This is why this person did this. This is why your parents did this. Then it was really weird. I got like volumes of knowledge and I understood 
everything that was happening to me and how I reacted to it. But I remember I got that at Purdue. How old, how old were you at that time? 21. Okay. Yes. And I remember it's a beautiful fall, beautiful day, nice and chilly up there. You know, you're wearing your, it was probably November. It was a little chilly. I'm wearing like my pea coat and my backpack and, you know, and uh, just had this epiphany. It was like a beautiful fall day. Leaves were falling. Purdue's gorgeous during the fall before the snow hits. But um, it clicked. And then I, I was always a deep thinker, though I used to play around a lot, like most kids, and be a little mischievous and this and that. I still thought about a lot of existential issues ish, you know. Always what thought about were... things like. Yeah. Let's go to I wanna I want to before we get too far away from this, the the uh priest that was trained in the old school Vatican exorcisms. And yeah. um and so there are a couple things here. There I wanna get get any you know, whatever you can give us from from his teachings that you you received and your idea on i'm really intrigued by how he considered this uh purgatory i don't know if that's a common or uncommon thought within the the within catholicism but i pull up to that vaughn and then also the idea of possession so and where you stand on that what you think that is because i think that that is very relevant to where we are right now Oh, totally. Well, I've even said on my radio show that we have the Vatican, and I do follow Vatican news. I find it very intriguing. They have the catacombs. They have the old astrological texts, right? And they have annals of all the, uh, of the um, demonic possessions that they've cataloged over the centuries. Supposedly, there's more demonic possessions now in the world per the Vatican. It's went up like 32% uh, ever in a long, long, long time, right? So, and that answers that little question, but I'll get back to that. The priest that um, I remember teaching my catechism, um, I believe possession's real. I believe demonic possession is absolutely real. I do. I believe that, and again, I'm not, I don't judge anybody. I am Mr. Non-judgmental. And it doesn't, you know, I have friends that uh, I know are agnostic, uh, some are Presbyterian, some may be an atheist or whatever the case is. Some may be, you know, evangelical. So I just take people as people. And it's not my role to convert anybody or to categorize anybody. Again, I really strongly believe that people are on their own life spiritual path for some people it's dark for some people it's better and I, I just think i just tell people this be careful what you call into your life be careful what you're seeking it's like the old saying if you you know be careful what you wish for because you might just get it and i believe that i believe you should be very careful what you really wish for Absolutely. i mean if you really really want to meet the devil you might meet the devil or what you really unconsciously to... pulling in you know that that's where it really gets sure. thick yeah absolutely you're 
I think people look, people are bored. I get it. Their politics is crazy, chaos and riots. And maybe they used to have a great job 20, 30 years ago and the money's tight. And I think they're just looking, I think they're bored and they want to get entertained. And they also want to delve into some things that they maybe haven't delved into. Again, I believe explore all you want, but just, you know, be a little careful in the sense of what you're invoking, what you're calling. Now, again, everyone's different. Everyone does their own thing. But getting back to the priest for a minute here, I can remember him telling us that demonic possession, and again, he was from the old school, that demonic possession was real. He remembers seeing people that could climb the walls. He did many of these in Rome and many in the States. And he said that uh, one time levitation is, is very, very common. And or they would talk in tongues or languages that, and he would tap them on the forehead and they would scream and yell and they would shut up and they'd come in and out of it. But again, like he would say, these demons are very deceptive. They want you to think they're gone when they're not gone. And so that's, again, they have that ancient Roman text. It's the one thing I do believe that it, I believe it works because I believe history proves that a lot of these things people can get possessed and again he said i'm not looking for more work to do i don't really want i've been doing these for 50 years i I don't go seek people out i'm not trying and most of these people you never hear about they're not publicity hounds most of them do not ever write a book or go on a radio show they're not they're like the silent soldiers of Christ, if you will, uh, if you could say that. I mean, in their own way, they all they they view themselves as a soldier in a spiritual war. Again, it's not about the Roman Catholic faith or anything like that. Um, he believed he was a soldier in a bigger spiritual war. Is how he and I agree with that. He said, "I am a soldier in a different way. I don't carry an M16, but I battle." the demons that can hold down our army or our nation or our neighborhood. And I, and he believed they were very real and they do get into, they do get into, I mean, look at our government today. I mean, is our government possessed is um, the world governments. I mean, with a satanic new world order and all these weird things that we're hearing about. I mean, even a layman could sit back and go, yeah, this new world order thing, the UN and all these crazy George Soros are evil people, evil organizations, and they don't want us to be happy at all. They want to F over humanity, you know? So he just used to talk about some general things about people levitating and people yelling at him and, and he always combated it, you know? And he said, whenever he took out the holy water and the cross, they can't. It's like he said, a demon's in 5,000 degrees of Fahrenheit because they're already in hell. It's like he turns the heat up is the way he put it. He goes, so if they think they're hot now, just wait till I'm done with them. But he was, he was hardcore, man. He was, but he talked to, he naturally didn't want to scare the kids. So he didn't talk too much in class about that, but I asked him because I was very inquisitive after class. I wanted to know as a young man, as, as a young boy, is this real? Is this, you know, now I never went to 
Catholic school and never wanted to go. I wanted to go to public, the cool school, right? With the cool kids, right? I wanted to wear the concert t-shirts and the Levi's and the sneakers. But uh, I used to go to him about once every Sunday for catechism, which I just found his stories. It's like watching the Exorcist movie over and over again. The stuff he would say would blow your mind. So to me, I never looked down on, I thought this is a wild class. I can't wait to hear his next story. So I was blessed with an inquisitive mind. I didn't disc anything anybody said. I just thought, even if 10% of it is true was my mindset, even if half of it or a third of it's true, that's still a crazy time. It's still wild. And I wanted, and then he said he had things thrown at him. They would uh, make, they'd pick up chairs and then fly across the room at 70 miles, miles per hour. He was um, not all the time, but he ducked. He was got, got hurt a few times with like shrapnel glass would break. Oh yeah. But he said, and there were some people that his, his main thing was, and it's true that the demons in the spiritual, I believe in spiritual law. I mean, it's not, it's a spiritual law, like the old world universe, like the God particle, the old man God, right? I believe in spiritual law where the demons have to name themselves to you if you come at them with authority. They have to. It's spiritual law. It's like if a cop is on your tail and he pulls you over, you're going to pull over, right? You might go on a chase, but he'll eventually pull you over. He'll eventually get you. And you'll eventually be surrounded by 12 squadron. Well, that's how he told us, we're going to get you off the road. We're going to surround your car and we're going to pull out our guns. And by the way, this guy used to carry a sidearm <laughs> under his priest oh. robe. You'd be very surprised at how many. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he fought in, I think, Korea and um, was a vet, actually. I've I've actually heard this a lot about the that particular section of priests through the Vatican uh, that they're a lot of times, especially when they were younger, they're very dangerous men because they had been picked from military or uh, trained trained to deal with stuff physically. And so it it is I, I have no confirmation, but I have heard that from many people. He was a very problem uh, lad. He said he got into trouble. He used to do, he used to get into fights. He used to be very aggressive. He told us that yeah, he was in the, of course, he's an American, was sent to Rome, part Italian, to, and they pick you, and they're looking for these more rough and tumble type priests to go to exorcism college. Yes, yes. <laughs> So he was told, you're the kind of guy we're looking for. One, you're not afraid of anything. You're not, you're not a, wall, a, a wallflower. You're not a theologian, per se. You're not a philosopher. You're hardcore. You're the kind of guy we're looking for. He went, okay, we're flying your ass to Rome. Here's your plane ticket. Here's a plane. Sayonara. <laughs> right? So he flies to Rome. He's there for two years. and He's going through literally exorcism school. It's in the basement of the Vatican. No press, no media, no family. Just yeah. you and the old guard, the old guard, not this. <laughs> I don't like the new Pope. Uh, I don't, you know, again, and I'm not a 
uh, I just can't stand this new guy, Francis. I, is he not? He's not my cup of tea. I'm sure he's good for some people, but the old guard, in other words, trained him. Yeah. And the or the arts, if you will, the sort of the sort of the the black magic arts, if you will, of confronting demons and calling them out. And he used to say and tell us that they have to give me their name. Yes. I will beat it out of them. I will get when when I get that name, then I can crush them. I will know and you. And he meant it. I will crush them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they have to give it to me. Yeah. And I said, why? Because it's spiritual law. I yes. have, in other words, he has the badge, not the demon. He has the gun and the badge. And we all know that if you're surrounded by the cops, you're going to give in eventually. If they surround your car, your house, the gun, the badge, it's like you can't fight city hall. Right. Well, that was his mindset. They're going to give it to me. I'm going to get it. Some take more than others, but I would get it. That was his attitude. Kind of arrogant, but you need to be a little arrogant to do that job. And then mm-hmm. he said, business is good. He would smirk and go, business is too good. I want a vacation. <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, look, and then as the years went on, I mean, I, I remember that guy for like, he was like, yeah, I carried a, while doing mass, he carried a sidearm in case some nut job went in there to attack people. He was going to gun them down. Yeah. He told this to me one-on-one now. He's not in front of, he, he, he dug me. He liked me. And he knew that what he told me, I would, you know, pretty much have held for 30, 40 years until now. So I don't divulge secrets that easily, but, and he's gone now anyway, but I thought you'd be surprised. Some of these people uh, of any walk of faith. But again, I just thought, man, this is like the, I told you this is like the, the exorcist, the Godfather and the poltergeist in a world war two movie all wrapped into one. So as a boy, like, wow, you know, you don't believe half of it. You're going, wow. You're just going, wow, this is wild stuff. So I love, I was one of those kids where a lot of kids were into like, and that's that again, it's not just everyone's different. Right. So I had friends that would, you know, watch uh, Scooby-Doo and I watched Scooby-Doo too, but I used to always gravitate towards those new shows like, you know, Stonehenge or devil possession oh, or yes. the SS <laughs> world war two, the occult Hitler. Yes. Uh, I used to love those kinds of real world yeah. stories, D-Day invasion, or it could be, or you know, the, the OSS Nimoy series. What was that series from Leonard Nimoy? Oh, in search of, in search of, yes. oh, God, I love that. Love those shows. Yeah. And that's what I, that was my, that today is my favorite kind of television because to me, I love a good mystery. And I think that's what, America is lacking. They want everything, you know, push button society and there's no allure. There's no mystery. You don't always get the answer on the first try. And we've lost a lot of that. Like, you know, I'll tell you a great line of books when I was a kid. Um, I used to love Alfred Hitchcock and the three investigators. I own the entire collection today, hardback cover. Ooh. I used to love those books because it was Jupiter Jones and the three investigators. It was these guys my age who lived on the beach in California in the books solving crime. 
And it was well, well written. I was mesmerized by those kinds of books. A good mystery book. Now, I'm a Leo with a Scorpio rising. So, <laughs> which makes sense to me because I can read. I, I, I know a little bit about astrology, though I'm not an astrologer. I just read a ton of these books that Scorpio is my ascendant. And they say that's the face you 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 put forth to the public. That's how people Leo see was my base yeah. son. Oh, you're yeah. right. So I'm still a lion. But uh I read on the I I I read the Scorpio thing and I said that's yeah, passionate, investigative, um, love a good mystery, love to delve into things. Plutonian, and the dark I side, the arts, the dark arts, understanding yeah. them, yeah. Understanding them so I can combat them. Not that I want to join them. I wanted to learn about them so I knew about these things. I was learning about life 101. Like, when I go through life, I need to know about the light side, the positives, and also the dark side. I need to know, it's kind of like Luke Skywalker, I, I need to know both to do my thing and to navigate the way I would look at it, this crazy life and this crazy river I'm on, you know? Yes. Yes. So I don't blindside by anything. That's why I wanted to know about it. I feel it's important to that one should get in to get their, get their eyes, hands, ears, nose into, into as many different avenues as possible and, and think about, the position of other people. This is a military mindset too. Think about what you consider the enemy and step in into their purview and think about how they think. Look at what they believe in to understand them, to understand the next move. It's like chess. And it's it's an important way to navigate, for me at least, and it keeps me growing. The If I find myself with a real distaste of something, I want to know why, and I look further. And oftentimes, I'm not surprised, sadly, at this particular junction. However, I want to get your take on, do you think that this experience we're having, that we're calling life, this here and now, that is absolutely wild surreal and you know if you weren't questioning what's going on before hopefully you are now do you think it's possible this is like a purgatory or we're navigating the afterlife in some way you have fantastic questions Anish. <laughs> i i am I believe this. I believe that uh, I am, I call myself, I am Mr. Reality. I believe we are in a physical place. I don't believe that uh, this is make-believe. I don't believe we're in a dream world. Now, don't get me wrong. It's very glib and trendy for, I have friends of mine that go, oh, no, man, it's all a dream, bro. Maybe it is, but I believe it. this is a physical world. I believe we're in a physical, real world. Having said that, I don't believe we're sleeping somewhere with uh, tubes coming out of my head, you know, a million miles away, and I'm dreaming this right now. The Matrix, I yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do believe it's a real world, but I go deeper this way. I think that um, uh, this, yes, this definitely could be a, a, a um, world of the Matrix, 
But I believe this is a spiritual world, a spiritual war. I believe this is a form or a layer or a level, if you will, level is the way to put it, of a purgatory. I believe that to me it makes sense because to me you've got heaven is super great, hell is super bad. There's nothing in the middle, right? Which is why the theologians said there needs to be something in the middle of a spiritual place. I believe that um, we chose to come here. I believe in a, in a sense that we're all on a different path. And again, you could be anything. And I just, I really live by the golden rule, put it that way. So I try to treat other people the way I would like myself to be treated. Keep it real simple in this life. I, um, I believe that um, there is a heaven. I believe there is a hell. I believe this is probably purgatory. I believe that um, it's a spiritual path. We're on a spiritual journey. Some people, and we're all given a different deck of cards. We're all different. We're all given a different hand, if you will, a different poker hand. And some people may grow up with one parent. Some people may grow up with an abusive brother or a sister or a teacher or whatever. I think whatever we do, I don't think those things are always good. I don't think they always make you a better person, quote unquote, but I do believe if they happen to you, it's like a cross, quote unquote, that you have to bear kind of like the cross of Jesus, if you will. Again, I'm not trying to get overly, religious on that. But to me, that's the best phraseology I can think of. Everyone's got a cross to bear in this life. And it's your job to navigate it, acknowledge what it is and kind of work through it. Nobody, I don't care who you are, is given a perfect life, a perfect set of parents. You know, we don't pick our parents, at least, at least consciously, or our siblings, or where you're born, a lot of things happen that are already predetermined. So I believe in in free reign and uh, you know us being a free spirit. But when you're born, a lot of things are just like you're born into this world, and that's it. You got your parents already done, your brother, your sister, the house you're in. A lot of things are pre-planned. What you do with that, to me is what separates the men from the boys. Because my dad had a great phraseology and a great slogan, and this is true. He, goes, he said, son, we had dirt poor people, be dirt poor in this country in the 1930s during the Depression. I knew, I grew up with them. But, but they were at least clean. Every poor family had one you know, clean shirt and trousers for church or whatever they went to and they did not kill each other. So don't tell me it's about money or things like that. There are a lot of intrinsic things that prior generations just had. And it's called, you know, like in a, in a laughable way, like your uncle would say, well, that, well, son, that builds character, right? Well, that's partially true. A lot of things do build character. So I think we have to navigate this world and try to make it a better world. But you can't control everything. You can't be a control freak. We got people in the streets now that want to control what you say, control what you think, control the government, control. We have, they, we have Marxists in, in the streets. I believe many of them are 
I've seen them rant and yell and scream. They do look like a demonically possessed person. And I know many have been interviewed before and they don't believe in anything. Again, you don't have to believe in anything. I'm just saying that if you don't, there's an old saying too, if, if you don't stand for something, <laughs> you're going to fall for anything, right? You're going to fall for anything any charlatan says down the road. So be aware of that if you don't believe in anything. It's very trendy now to say, I don't believe in anything. I'm super cool. I'm above it all. I'm smoking my cigar or my cigarette or I'm drinking my shot of whiskey. I'm cool, baby. I don't need anything or anyone, which is, hey, I get it. I am the most independent person on many, many levels. I'm a very independent thinker. I critically think about things. I challenge a lot of things people say because a lot of people don't even know what you believe, which is fine. Again, we're on a path. Everyone, let's say you and I, that the mission was to go from Phoenix to Seattle, let's say. Okay, some of us might be in Oregon by now, right? Almost there. Some of us, 30 years later, are still stuck on the Las Vegas Strip. You know what I mean? They're still playing slot machines. There's some might have never left the driveway. So that's my best analogy is we're all on a different path, but some people might get to, to nirvana, if you will, or figure it out faster. And, I, and I've always believed that the sooner you can navigate life in that sense and figure out what you're doing, and you can only make yourself happy. You got to love yourself at the end of the day. If you don't love yourself, you can't love your pet. You can't love your family or your neighbor. Gotta, you got to be cool with you. And again, everyone's different. So my thing is, is that, you know, I can't control the world for my radio studio. But what I can do is I can bring up a lot of things that people haven't thought about before and challenge a lot of their misconceptions. And again, it's not about preaching or converting or I don't care what people personally believe. Again, I met people that, and it's not about, and again, I'm not a, I haven't been to church in three months. So it's not about church or anything like that either. It's just being about you. Because I think when, 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 when we all die, when you go up to the pearly gates or wherever you're going to, you know, like a Hollywood movie, I think that what, what I said in my book, The Bachelor's Guide to the Galaxy, and I wrote a book several years ago, I'm doing the sequel now, but I said that your life is like a movie, and when you die, you want to have a good movie, right? Hopefully, you want a sequel, and you want to come back again as a reincarnated soul, but I want to have a good movie, and I think God is going to say, did you have a good movie? Let's see the film. Let's play it. Because all these people that go on a near-death experience always say they played my movie or my life back to me. Right? They all say that. The life review. So I want to have a really, my, my goal in a funny sense is to make a really good movie. And that means have fun, uh, learn, and grow, and on all different levels. But when I die, Hopefully, and I would live forever if I could, only because I think the things that you're going to see are going to blow your freaking mind. 
you know, the Jetsons, the future of America even. And a lot of it is going to be bad, but I, my whole plan since high school, I used to be the guy in the back row thinking and watching the whole classroom, analyzing everybody, just analyzing and watching their mannerisms and watching those goody two shoes kids in the front row raise their hand. And they always had the right answer or they always tried to. I'll tell you a great story. I'm in eighth grade and I'm in math class, right? And the teacher goes, I've got 15 um, hills of corn and I just bought this farm over here. And now I got five more hills of corn or silos full of corn at this farm. How many, and I'm going to put them all together and combine the farms. Keywords, combine, put them all together. How many silos or how many mountains of corn do I have? Now, the whole class said, oh, 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 20, 20. The teacher goes, Vaughn, what's the right answer? I said, you have one. They went, no, he's wrong. He's wrong. All those kids <laughs> turned around and went, no, Vaughn is correct. Yes. You are all wrong. <laughs> it's an IQ You're not- thing. Something's deeper than you. I'm combining all the corn. And I told you, I'm combining it all into one hill of corn. How many do I have? So I was always one a listener. And that's, that's where I comprehended what the teacher was asking. The, the, the rule of the road to me is not always thinking you have the right answer. Because I learn new things every day. Trust me. But to me, people need to be deep. And I try to go deeper on my show too. And, you know, you get all these, but I, I, I love that story. I'll never forget the looks of those kids faces. He's wrong. I know I'm the straight A student. I know best 20, 20. And they get like yelling out 20, like Barabbas, Barabbas. It's like almost biblical. And I sat back quietly said, no, it's one. But I'll never forget that because the teacher liked me and he was cool. And he goes, Vaughn's right. You're wrong. He looked right at that. Those kids in the front row, well, you're wrong. You or they couldn't understand. He had to explain that 20 minutes to them while I'm laughing. Oh, my goodness. They did not listen. <laughs> but I just love that. I can still see that classroom setting today. And they were adamant. No, you're wrong. He went, no, I'm not wrong. I'm the freaking teacher, you moron. I teach you. You don't teach me. Capisce? He was Italian, too. That's why I like In German. I teach you. You're in my class. Little numb nuts. You know? But I'll never forget that. And it, and it took them forever. Finally, they go, oh, I get it now. I think a lot of life is like that. Wait, the reason why I think a lot of life... We think we always have the right answer and we need to take a step back and look at these situations, political, religious, spiritual, et cetera, or dreams. And I think that your dreams can talk to you. I think that I analyze mine and I mm-hmm. go, why did I dream of that? Or, you know, things of that nature. But uh, yeah, I find that stuff fascinating. People are a trip to me. And they'll, they will, they will trick you, you know, or try to, right? Yeah. 
It's good stuff. It, it, well, and it, it's one of those things I keep learning that lesson deeper that, uh, you know, some with a lot of people, even a smile has kind of a contract involved. And uh, the deeper into my life I get, the more I'm very connected to a lot of people and I enjoy those connections. But the more sol- I've always been solitary anyway, loner, wolf, you know, essentially. And uh, I, I'm increasingly finding it hard to trust people. It, it, everything seems to have someone, it seems like everyone's out for everyone now. There's this lack of trust. I think that's my side. You can hear my wolves go. <laughs> and, <laughs> Love uh, it. And They're coming it, for us already. They, it's a new world order. No. <laughs> I know, watch out. And uh, but I, you know, this is one of the things I've I've continually learned over and over again in my life is that nothing, everything has contracts. Everyone seems to want something, and this idea of uh, unconditional love is is very very. I don't know. It's almost like in the realm of Arthur, you know, it, 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 you get it with animals, but when we're talking homo sapiens sapiens and I, I, and yet I remain flexible and open and yet it's this logic you're talking about with that math teacher lesson. That's a very important lesson. Most people aren't paying attention to context. Most people are not right. paying attention to everything within a sentence. Every word has a meaning and it's playing on the next one. And there's a structure here. So especially when we're looking at something like mathematics, which I think really is an underlying net of this reality, especially when we take it to like the sacred geometry of everything and, and, and fractals and Mandelbrot and, and the natural golden rule and all this stuff that we see is underlying that Miguel Angelo, you know, to wind that back on inherently knew and was, it was weaving into his work, all his works. Uh, there's something, there's something to be said there. And the deeper into that idea, the further it separates me in a very strange way. And this all ties into the experience of dreaming for me personally, uh, that I'm noticing when I'm having these conversations with people about dreams and you talk about the, the, the winding, the, the, the plane experience, you know, that auditory, deep auditory thing, I realize, okay, in my aloneness over here, I'm having this incredible experience. And then here comes someone say like you, like Vaughn, here's Vaughn with this very, very similar experience. This is a deep soul experience that something else is going on. There is more afoot and we're all playing a part in it. And then I come back into this apparent reality, which you're right. I mean, there's, it. you know, we cut ourselves, we bleed, we hurt, we, you know, all that. But, you know, the arguments can be made that in all states of consciousness, we have laws. Uh, and, and there's a separation going on, or if group think, right, participation mystique, where we're looking out and we're seeing complete idiocracy everywhere, and all it takes is 
one person in a group to do something stupid and then like a mosh pit you know everyone just starts going in and if you're just standing there you get sucked into it and there's I know this may sound like a, a rant away from all this, but in that there's some sort of hypnotic aspect to this gyration of consciousness. And it ties me back into this whole idea of in the Catholic, uh, in the Catholic overlay of purgatory and possession within purgatory, within navigating who has given away their agency and therefore opened up their vessel for any old thing to come on in and take control. And that's where I kind of want to wind the show down on what are your thoughts on, on this idea that we could be getting technologically co-opted as, as a people in the plant on the planet, which is obviously there's a major takeover happening what are your thoughts with a technological uh, mind think that's going on where people are being hypnotized out and allowing these things to come in and control them? Great, deep question there. Um, I will, I will uh, start off by saying this. Um, to reiterate, I believe that you know, we're at a, a very big crossroads in my view in history. It's not because I'm, it's my ego or we're being arrogant. I mean, you can easily look at this situation right now, say, you know, the 1980s, 90s, 2000s, now we're in the 2020s. Um, I think historians two, three hundred years from now are going to be fascinated by this era of the, you know, look at our presidents. I mean, how iconic they are, JFK and, Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, Obama, the the Bush dynasty, now Trump. I think they're going to be fascinated by this era. And you mentioned the technology, and just to kind of kind of morph into that a little bit. Um, I I think they're trying to chip away at people, and they're trying to make us like you know robots or like your science fiction movie, your cyborgs, but the thing is, is that I, I definitely believe, again, this is a, a, a spiritual battle. I believe that this is a real world. I don't believe, and yes, yes, I, I definitely believe that there's a lot going on behind the scenes and a lot of things that we can't see. And I don't think there's, that we should see it. I think we're supposed to get about our day. I, I call it, look, I have friends of mine that call me all the time and acquaintances and I go, look, you got to be functional is the word I use functional. In other words, you got to get up, you got to go to work at, at some point, you got to make some money, you got to pay your rent. That's my real practical sign. You got to put gas in the car. You got to buy groceries. You got to eat, sleep and do your business. And uh, so that's the practical side of this life. At the same time, I believe we have a deeper spiritual life and all that emanates through the practicality of it. And as we just go about our business, it's the little things that add up. I don't think a lot of people even realize that we're looking at these mobs in the streets and they're some of them. I mean, 
to me are crazed. They're demonic. The things they say make no freaking sense. And they jump around like they are demonically possessed or that they have whatever. I mean, I believe that right now on the earth, I believe that not all, again, I'm a little bit different. I think that most people have a soul. I think that some people could have destroyed their soul. They could have sold it maybe or gotten rid of it. Can they buy it back? Maybe. But my thing is, I think we have a lot of people right now who are like for, for a great example, Nish is I always tell folks that if you put on any talk radio station or a YouTube channel like this, you hear a lot of chatter. People like chatter. They like uh, the constant, you know, hey, everybody, it's, uh, you know, it's 85 degrees in L.A. today. It's always this, hey, kind of a thing. Uh, or it's always the, well, the RNC said this. You know. Your typical rhino talk show host does lots of chatter. And people love chatter because we're afraid of the silence, right? Most people are afraid yes. of being quiet. Yes. It's a power vacuum. And there's no, and they don't, they're very uncomfortable with quiet. They're uncomfortable with meditation. They're uncomfortable. And they're uncomfortable with that because they're not used to it. And for them, they got, oh, they, they trip over themselves. Got to fill the void. Got So I always say on the radio, there's a lot of chatter on the radio, but you haven't heard anything new and you haven't learned anything new. And on my show, I purposely make it a variety show where well, it's kind of like a Roman mass. I'll stop the show. I'll play some gothic music. Then I'll come back. Now, I have people come and go, hey, man, I don't want to hear any songs, bro. I want to hear constant talk, 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 like they're almost a nut job. And I go, well, then Tarrant, change the channel because I on purpose We'll put in a promo or a song. We'll talk over here. Talk over here. Take a call. Variety, in my view. And most of my, my listeners now like the variety because, again, I'll play a song to accent on what we just said or to drill it into their mind. We're drilling, mining the minds, so to speak. But some of these people go, yeah, man, I just want to hear, you know, what and they're like, almost like they're hyperventilating. And I'll, I'll just tell that's not my kind of show. If you want that kind of show, then you launch your own show. And you can talk, 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 talk. <laughs> yes. For example, <laughs> when you call out radio shows, they'll barely give you 30 seconds. Well, thanks a lot, Bob, and we're back. And here it is, uh, KZZN. You know, it's like they don't even give their, their, their listeners more than 30 to 45 seconds. We like small, bite-sized talking points. And it must be in congruency with that station and the program director or the news or whatever the case is. I give people the floor. I have no problem, except for this show, but I have no problem really sitting back. If you're on a rant and you call my show, I want to hear what you got to say. Yes, I really I do. That. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I will let people speak. For two or three minutes, I would say two minutes is the best. That's when they're passionate. And then it starts to wane. I go, okay, thanks a lot, Mr. Irish Pirate or Matador. We're moving on now. And that was a state call. So I'm always 
changing those gears. The minute they wane or they get weak, I change it to make them look good and make the show look good. So they don't, because otherwise people just ramble. And on the radio, and when I had a one-hour show on KFNX here in Phoenix, I was famous for doing that. But again, I think most of American society, there's a lot of chatter out there. There's a lot of talk, but nobody's really saying much. And they're definitely not talking about things that are the context or the foundation of the country or of the people. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about now... um, you know, what, what China said to America, what America said, it's like a high school party. I go deeper where I'll talk about the Fed. I'll talk about Jekyll Island. I will talk about the JFK hit. I will talk about conspiracy theory. I will talk about American foreign aid. I will talk about our dead coming back in body bags of whatever yes. persuasion. Yeah, I'm a real America first guy. A lot of these guys are, in my view, again, they're well-intentioned. They're misguided in the sense that they pay lip service to it. I'm a real America first guy. And I use the word real because a lot of people say that they're America first, but they're tripping over themselves, for example, to give money to, to foreign countries. Or they're tripping over themselves to not help out the American people. I'm a real American first guy where it's not that we are going to diss the entire world and, and God forbid be isolationist. I just want us to focus on our problems at home. Charity does begin at home. We got a lot of problems in our country. And if we're not careful, I tell folks that call me, we're against fascism, man, fascism. Tell they talk, right? Like morons. And I go, if you really think, seriously, that Trump is a fascist, well, then you're a freaking moron. He's not a fascist. You don't even know what the word means. You're regurgitating crap that other people fed you. If you really do believe in your heart of hearts, mind of minds, that Trump is a fascist. Okay, he's pretty tame. (laughs) You know, he's right of center, but he's not a he's not a fascist. So people who say that. Yeah, they're crazy. Well, they don't understand what the word means. Right. The language is broken down completely. Nobody's on the same page. Well, they, they, they don't think they people again. That's what my point is. They like the chatter. They love the talking points. They regurgitate crap, literal crap, because they have no critical thinking skills. When I was coming up, we had collectively, I'm sure Nishu and Jerry, we were taught collect uh, critical thinking skills. These kids have got no coping skills. If you disagree with them, you're a fascist. If you disagree with them, off of their heads. And now that's what I see. And I'm going... Look, it's okay if somebody disagrees with you. Get over it. Get over yourself. It's what Where our gener- country was. Sorry. Right. It's a generation of people getting. It's a generation of kids getting participation trophies. That's what. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They got all these trophies for not being a winner. And that's the whole thing was when I was a kid, when you got a freaking trophy, you earned it. You were in first, second, Maybe third place trophy, but most were first and second, 
And that's it. The rest of you were losers. Go home. Better luck next year. Don't cry. And don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way up, kid. Good luck, kid. The guy from New York from uh, New York would say, "Good luck, kid." <laughs> you know, like the uh, guy that trained Rocky. Yeah, I used to love that guy. Yeah, it was a uh, Burgess Meredith. Good luck, kid. Good luck, Rock. Oh, I remember, I remember those great. old crusty, <laughs> those old crusty veterans that would say that, and we would go back, we would practice, we would get our our plays down, and we would win and be victorious. And Jerry's right. You guys are right. This new generation. I mean, again, these people, and again, it's kind of like that movie even way before my, my time, cause I'm generation X, the, that movie with James Dean. You saw, I, I, I love that movie's name, a rebel without a cause. Yeah. Yeah. People love to be a rebel and they are, look, this isn't the 1960s. Okay. This isn't the Vietnam war, but I guess they like to, they're, they're trying to recreate in my view, the late 1960s because they said that we were born too late. There's nothing really to rail against. So we're going to rail against fascism. Okay. Which if you really, I analyze what they say and I'm going, there is no real fascism. And if there is, you'll be the first to know because they're coming after you guys, the Marxists. So uh, they think right wing is fascist. And like Jerry said, they, they don't know what these words mean or what these things really are. But again, we also don't want, I'm a very big anti-communist like my dad, the communism, the communists have killed far more people in the world. Well, over a hundred million since their inception. Lenin and Stalin were murderous thugs and you couldn't deviate from the party line or talk about dreams or anything else. God forbid you, they, they shoot your ass. So we don't want that. And but this is, you know, um, we, this is what I'm talking about with how there's a, there's a, it's it's the programming and it's hypnotic and it, and people are stepping out and what's stepping in in this participation mystique aspect of our group think is is are these regurgitated bits of nothing of crap that have no context to anything yes do you know what i'm saying yes totally and that's what I was saying was to people be very careful what you ask for. If you want to kick out, it's not always about logic and reason. Always go, oh, I want logic and reason. We got to have dreams too, right? I mean, I did a brain scan years ago. I took that test a couple of times. I am right in the middle between left brain and right brain. So I love the arts. I love music. I love all those great things. I'm also very logical and very rational, but I kind of blend the two. And I think that's why I've got a pretty cool, uh, edgy, hip show in that sense that I can blend the two. A lot of people, like you said, there there is a vacuum in the mind. And these kids will say, well, I, I call them kids, you know, 15 to 25, right? Or 10, they're all out there in the streets. My dad and mom had a great thing. Even back when I was coming up, I'm sure you guys might have had the same experience. They used to tell me, and it's true. My parents were old, old school. You will don't rely keyword rely on any teacher to give you give you keyword to an education. 
Don't rely on any one person. You're a moron. If you do, you've got to get your education yourself. And I have found that to be true. It's not that you don't go to school, but you take from the, from every teacher, you learn what you can. We would do extra reading, extra research. This is pre personal computer now called the library. Remember that we'd go in the Dewey decimal system was so freaky. And I used to love libraries. I could find all these cool books on like, you know, wild, just all kind of things. Yeah. But my thing was that we would do extra read. It wasn't that you were going to read so much. And my bad habit was not reading the subject material. I would go off on these tangents. Well, check out this book or check out this book. Well, in college at Purdue, my first two years, my grades weren't that great because I, I was a very smart kid, but I did not read. I learned, again, the practicality of life. I was told by a prof, you need to learn my subject material. <laughs> he had to put it to me in those plain words. And I go, yes, sir. I get it. I get it. It was the dean and like talking to Dean Wormer and Animal House. And when I went to college, it was a lot like the movie Animal House. So I learned to study the course material first, get the A or the B, and then deviate, right? Yeah. But again, those are skills that you learn through time, um, you know, and I just, it was just, it was, it's, it, it, it's just life one on lean one on one. You got to learn. That's what I mean by the practicality. A lot of life is practical. And I've been in the business world my entire life. And everyone, I used to have these old mentors. I used to love, like when I was a young whippersnapper, there were those older guys in the office, right? And I was in the insurance biz. And I used to gravitate towards the guys that were the chain smokers and the pipe smokers. <laughs> yeah. oh, they, yeah. like, they were gray and numb. And show you, the you know, they were like yeah. 60. Yeah. And I, would go, I never <laughs> hung around the guys my own age because they didn't know anything. Yeah. I want to talk to those guys before they check out, yeah. get their knowledge, <laughs> get their wisdom. And I, and I befriended them. I, I got along always better with older people, almost than my own, you know, age, age kids. Cause they were in the dumb, dumb stuff. And I was into learning in a weird way. It sounds cornball, but I wanted to learn just about life one one So my point is in saying that was those guys would always say, kid, I'll tell you what you need to know. Kid. You know, and you do it like this and whatever they said, I always learned it always checked out. Uh, and I love talking to them about their wisdom. And um, I think that is also really missing from our society. There's no mentoring going on. Corporate America has, I saw the last tail end of it where you could actually mentor with people and they would actually teach you a lot of valuable tools. You can't have 16 year olds raising 15 year olds. It doesn't work, and they're going to turn into little Marxists. Yeah, this because is they're deal. going. To, it's a big deal, and you know, unfortunately, corporate America has been what they've been doing. They've been getting rid of all these, God forbid, the older white males, evil veterans. They smoke too much. They whore around too much. <laughs> they have guns, and they're evil. And my God, some of you even go to church, right? <laughs> That's sorry, and they drive those big Cadillacs. Well, F them. We're gonna get <laughs> I love a big Cadillac. Yeah, or those big Lincoln Continental guys. 
By the way, I want one of those cars. My my grandmother was always into her Lincoln. See, I love that. That to me is real America. (laughs) That to me is real America that I grew up in. And I go, we're missing that. We're missing that because we have a brain drain going on in this country. And if we're not careful, we're going to turn the corner someday where we, where yes, we will be owned by the Democrat Marxist party. We will be owned by China. We're going to have like these kids, the cultural revolutions never going to end. And they're going to start doing public executions in the streets. If you think I'm kidding. No history. This has happened around the the playbook. Yeah. I think that, and we've got to consider wrapping up here. I think that one, when you were speaking, it was reminding me of something my mother always used to talk about was common sense. She said, you know, you can be the smartest in school and book read and all that. And she did like that. However, she's like, common sense is something you have to learn. And it was one of those things where listen to your elders and also mentorship is a very big deal in the world. And we're just, we're, we're stripping those things away. Mentorship is about an initiation into into a devotion, into a practice, into understanding the way things are mechanically running. And this this permeate this permeates a deep well, not just into the physical, but into down all the way or up all the way into the spiritual. And and there's a disconnect here. And it's it's a definitely an interesting time to be in observance. Vaughn, this well, is- just to here, Nish, one the thing I would say, and I agree with you, I, I know you got to wrap up here on the time, but I would say that a phrase that I always heard that is very true is the most uncommon thing in the world is, drum roll, common mm-hmm. sense, right? Yes. It's and a- the, the, <laughs> yeah, it's the most uncommon thing because it's like in a, a, a great phrase too my parents used to have, and I use this all the time on the radio, I can get away with the masses are asses. They are. The masses <laughs> of people totally. are complete asses. The masses are ass. It's always been And that I way. would say that, yeah, <laughs> it's always been that way. And I would say with uh, with uh, Dreams, I love your show because it actually stopped me from my busy life. And I had to think about the show and it was that reflection that none of us do a lot because what they've done in a nutshell and I'll tie this up here. They they made us all so busy earning a living and paying our bills that we have no time to think. Oh, yeah. It, oh, my goodness. Yeah, these are things we love to talk about. You know, we have no time to think or reflect or even analyze our dreams because everyone, again, they're into the chatter. And I like my radio show to be deeper and go deeper, kind of like your show. But on, you know, and again, I think people are afraid to look at their dreams. Yeah. I think they need to reflect more in my view. Yeah. It, it stillness is a, a very big thing and it always was, but now more so than ever in our world of fast flick rates of everything, flash poetry, flash this, flash that, uh, three minute sound bites. And, and then the next thing, I mean, you can get into a scandal now and next month it doesn't matter. It's like, it used to be, right. a, you would follow you forever. Unless and you're so, Trump. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Well, the key, <laughs> these players that are really sticking out right now, and we all see them, 
So, but on that note, we do like to keep because of the two hour thing. The two hours is asking a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I love talking to you both, and uh, I think that tech technology, to sum up, can be our friend or our biggest enemy. We to answer that earlier question really quick. I just think that we need to uh, watch that like a hawk and be very careful with it. You know. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, thank you, uh, Vaughn. It's been great. Do you want to plug your show? Yes, would love to, uh, folks. I'm on uh, tomorrow night on Blog Talk Radio, 8 to 10 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or Pacific. It's the Von Weehunt Show. I've got an author as my VIP, a mystery author, on my show tomorrow night. i got some great shows. Every Thursday, go to Blog Talk Radio, and you'll see the Von Weehunt Show. Click on that. And we'll be, and even call in if, if, if you want, we have a chat room as well. And I want to really appreciate uh, Jerry, you and Nish for this show. And thanks for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun tonight. Sure. Thanks. And we've got links to your shows and your website uh, in the show notes and the description on this video. If you're watching on YouTube. It's and been a great. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nish. Thank you, Jerry. And thank you everyone for listening. Be sure to tune in next week. It's a new moon. So we've got an obelisk and a, our guest is, who is it? Oh, yeah, Miguel Connor from the Aeon Byte Gnostic radio show podcast thing. Aeon Byte Gnostic radio. Is that it? That's right, right? Yeah, that's going to be fun. We've had a lot of requests to get Miguel on. Yeah, I love, I love Miguel. I can't, cannot wait to talk to him. And especially since it's going to be on a, a novelist, we can go balls yeah. deep. <laughs> We're always balls deep. Though. I know. That's, my, <laughs> that's the best thing. Anyway, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Vaughn. Thank you, Nish. Everyone, thank have you, a great Jerry. week. Stay safe. Never wear a mask. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>